playbook. It's a private practice playbook. Playbook. Hi, it's Jay Geyer. Welcome. So we are, you are in for a treat. We're going to, you know, we're talk about how to stop losing good team members, how to gain talented team members, how to get people to join your team. So this is a, this is a lot. And clearly, you know, we have a lot to address and, but we're, so we're going to dive in and get to work. You're going to want to make sure you have some, uh, something to write with, paper, pen, whatever it might be. And so let's go to work. So, you know, when we talk about the human capital, right, and it is the stock of the habits, the knowledge, the personalities, the attributes, the skills, the expertise, you know, human capital is many times referred to as an intangible asset on a company's balance sheet. And so, you know, when we talk about and looking at the invitation, you know, was to have a conversation about uh, losing people, uh, how to stop losing people, how to get talented people to join your team. And but as, as we approach this, I mean, you know, I've got to take it from the correct level. And so let me give you some. So first, many, many doctors are so busy, uh, consumed with seeing patients that they neglect this area of developing people. So stop for just a second and think about this. You know, it, what if the single greatest competitive advantage you can have is the humans that work in your business. And I can tell you this, if you've got a person at your front desk who we are going through the process of trying to get certified, what you're doing is you're taking a full-time position, you're elevating the human capital through training, and you're making them more valuable to the organization. And if you really think about running a business, that's a core competency that any business owner has to have. And so thinking about where we are today in our industry, particularly as it pertains to human capital, you know, we're going to address this issue. But I, it, it's important that you as the owner or let's say you're – and by the way, if you're a team member who got on this call and your doctor, you know, the doctor said, hey, I want you to listen to this, I'm going to talk to the doctor. But remember, this is applicable to you. So what, what you have to remember is you are the you – know, if, you, if you're the office manager or you're the front desk team leader or you're whatever leadership position you, you, know, you have in the organization – or just an experienced person, this lesson on human capital is going to be incredibly important for you. And sometimes we don't look at this the right way. And so let's hop up here for a second and let's do, let's remember this. And we have pre-pandemic, pandemic, and post-pandemic. And we're kind of getting into post-pandemic. I mean, it's still technically happening. So what is important is that you, we take a minute to divide this out and uh, almost everything has to be divided out and everything has to be, you have to remind yourself, why am I doing this? Was I doing this because of the pandemic? And now 
okay, now if we're coming out of the pandemic, I, okay, I shouldn't do this anymore. So I always am trying to get people to think about that. So let me just give you a little history here and let's talk about what was occurring. So pre-pandemic, 2019 was like a version of, it was a roaring period of time. Things were going well. Uh, in, in 2019, I actually went back and listened to, uh, it's actually started 18, going 19, a, a lot of um, my messaging to my clients who are uh, coaching clients. And I was ringing the bell very loudly. We're, we're coming into a human capital crisis. We're coming into a human capital crisis. We're coming into a human capital crisis. And you got to do more to retain your people, more to train them. And then the pandemic came along. And you, what you want to know is you need to be in reality about whatever you did. So we had everything from stellar performances from doctors to some of the most miserable performances I've ever seen. Now, I don't know what happened with you, but no matter what it was, we all performed a certain way and it had a certain effect on our culture. And you know what I kept telling everyone in coaching is I said, listen, you don't want to have regrets. So what I want you to write down is to capture what happened during the pandemic because one of two things either occurred. Most people either... And by the way, you don't want to guess on this, and you also don't want to be in denial. Thinking a lot about this, I feel like your challenge is not what is known. Your challenge is what is unknown. And what I mean by that is that almost everybody had their own pandemic struggles, literally. If you had to deal with childcare, that was an issue, right? My kids are old enough. I didn't have to deal with childcare. So I couldn't relate to childcare because I didn't, I, I could relate to it in the sense of, hey, I had kids and I know what that's like, but I wasn't personally going through it. Somebody on your team, a loved one lost their job. Well, if, if you didn't lose your job, then you can't relate it. So what's very important is that we understand that there's a lot of unknowns that have happened in the last year, and the effects of those unknowns are going to appear. <clears throat> and there's going to be psychological things that we're studying for many years, and I know 10 years from now, I'm going to you know, meet a guy or gal and they're going to say, well, ever since the pandemic, I've never been able to get my practice to do what I want. And there's going to be plenty of people. I have clients who most of them who have are going past what they did pre-pandemic already. So what you want to concentrate on here is the unknown. One of my favorite things about um, crisis. And I thought this was fantastic. Somebody said to me one time, there's three things. One, you're in a crisis. Two, you're coming out of a crisis. Or three, you're heading into a crisis. So the unknown a lot of times is that heading into a crisis. And so when you think about talent, talent management, for a small business owner, when a team member walks in and says, I have accepted a new job and I'm giving you a week's notice, and that happens to be the person who answers the phone at your front desk. Well, technically, 
you have a crisis now on your hands because you don't have an alternative. You have one week to find a replacement and your schedule is completely backed up for that week. Or maybe if it really turns out to be a horrible timing, you're going to be on vacation that week <laughs> and you're not even going to be there. I mean, think about it. So now we're in a crisis. So when we talk about talent and team members, you know, that creates a crisis. And, you know, a lot of people, I think the way, so the question is, when you think about your talent management, where are you? So you may have no idea that person's looking for another job. You may have no idea they're unhappy. And you may have the kind of a relationship where they only give you a week's notice. So what we want to look at is we, you want to develop a system that keeps you from constantly going crisis to crisis. Now, I want to make sure you understand the basis for all of this. And I'll be honest, in, when you get really busy, you forget about this stuff. But I want to remind you that so we, we, I developed a system where we teach really we have five really fundamental things that we, we spend most of our time on. And one of them is financial. And so I want to address the financial issues related to this topic. And I want to make sure that you understand that there is a incredible financial opportunity when you commit to developing human capital and to actually develop a what we call a designed intentional culture. And what that means is that the owner of the business, and by the way, it's always got to be driven by the owner. So uh, it is incredibly difficult for a team member inside of your business. And by the way, I've done this a long time, and I've met hundreds of team members who are loyal to their doctors, who are attempting to do everything they think they can within their power to improve culture only for it to be completely sabotaged by the doctor. And it's almost like, I mean, some of them are very mature, you know, they get it. And then the doctor is very immature and the doctor constantly creates a, 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 a cultural crisis, you know, like having a favorite. Okay, there you go. You got yourself a cult. I mean, in an office with four or five people, if you have one who's a favorite or one is your kid and you don't know how to manage your kid and and you, you know, you discipline one person and don't discipline your kid or your spouse or whatever, you know, you, 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 you've got a dysfunctional culture, right? And so those, those team members become very disenchanted and they look for more structure. So the invitation here so is to understand that you have two choices. One, if a doctor handles all the hiring and firing the entire time that they run the practice and manages all the people, I will guarantee that practice won't go very far. And then others will develop a system and we'll talk about that. But I want you to understand that the financial benefit of having and retaining good talent is that 
your corporation has that asset. Now, okay, where does it pay off? Well, first of all, patient experience is always the number one thing in a practice. It's usually not what most doctors concentrate on unless we're helping them. But here's what you need to understand. Patient experience for me as the patient is delivered by a human being. So yeah, there's the chairs and the setup and all that, but all, all that, I mean, th that is important, but it will always be my interaction with a human being. So if you allow non-elevated people to interact with your patients, non-trained people, you're gonna, your patient is not gonna have a good experience. And, and, and financially, they'll not come back, they'll not refer, they do lots of things. So listen, you have to understand that your business is very, very driven around the people who work in it. And historically, what has occurred in a lot of doctor's offices, and it, I know you've experienced this, is people will say, I love the doctor, I can't stand dealing with the team. Now, I, they're not gonna say that to you, by the way, they would never tell you that. So what you've gotta do and why this is so important and why you wanna tune in to this is that you want to be proactive about developing the type of team that is going to do the right thing because they've been trained to do the right thing. And believe it or not, you know, if you think about it financially, if we look at, so there's a lot of studies done about turnover. And I think they say something like, you know, turnover is going to cost you 20 to 30% of the annual salary of the person. So those are pretty common economic variables. So that, but, but really, if we stop and we understand human capital, so let's say you had a five-star certified front desk person who's very loyal to you and you don't you don't put enough attention on them. They decided that you don't really like them as much, and so they leave you, and you lose a five-star certified person. Well, I can tell you this. The cost of losing that person is substantially uh, more than a, a person who's not because this person is generating new patients, right? I mean, QRPE, right? Quantifiable revenue per employee. In big corporations, you know, they're looking and, and trying to get to where you can sort of quantifiable revenue per employee. I mean, if I've got an employee who is handling the calls and scheduling and handling and scheduling and, you know, okay, that person is generating a lot of revenue for me at a different level. So the loss of that person is different. So when you think about your practice, let's say you have an associate doctor and the associate doctor comes and says, okay, hey, I've, I've taken a job down the street and I'm gonna quit. You got two weeks. Well, clearly, it's pretty easy. I can just pull up the annual revenue that person did last year. And if I don't replace them, I'm going to lose potentially that much. I mean, I could backfill a little bit, but it's pretty simple to see. So financially, you want to understand and priority wise today, there's not much more important than retaining the people who you know are profitable. Now listen, if you don't know they're profitable, there are some people you should maybe, you know, sometimes we wanna move somebody out and, and replace them with a person who's ultimately going to perform at a higher level, but that's done by design, that's not a crisis, okay? So 
Remember, is every time somebody quits a crisis in your office and how frequently is there a crisis? And are you completely dialed into the fact that the pandemic created a bunch of very odd behaviors that have not completely manifested themselves and they will in the future? And you could have people who are on the bubble and thinking about a career change unless you make it exciting and compelling to stay engaged in what you're doing. So that goes back to what I said about the unknown. You know, you really got to get out of your own head and think more like them. And so right now, I believe that hands down, you know, we've always said, you know, human capital is the single most important asset in a corporation. And I mean, I could show you, you know, you can take one of my offices that's highly trained and put them up against the, whatever dental service organization you want. We're outperforming them by almost every measure. And, the, you know, a lot of people think it's sort of a fallacy that someone's going to be able to do it better than you. It, it, if you're doing it right, you can do it at a high level. You know, Peter Drucker talked about, you know, uh, 21st century companies, you know, the most valuable asset is the knowledge of the workers and their, their productivity. So, again, quantifiable revenue per employee I mean, the reason why I created the Scheduling Institute was to take QRPE and apply it to the front desk and make a front desk person substantially more valuable. It's such a smart play, and so few people think of it. But you know that the highest turnover position in most offices is the front desk. I mean, think about that. And by the way, but I figured out a way, and you guys are working with the, our team to develop the fact that, no, you know, we're actually going to now take that and we're going to make that team member one of the highest revenue producing team members. Now, you can apply that as you go back, but most doctors do not look at it that way. And by the way, most offices don't. So where there's a lot of fixation in offices, it's it's really funny. It's more about personal stuff. Like, do you like them? Do you not like them? You know, so... What you're thinking about here when we talk about what is the way you look at people, right? And then – and do you understand the economics of retaining them or do you just lump them all in one category? And by the way, if you don't value human capital, here's typically what the attitude would be. You don't think it matters. So the one thing – particularly if you're new – you may not understand this yet. You may need to see more evidence that this works. If you've been with me a long time, you know this works. So when we get a person who is sort of defeated by their team, and that means you think you can't get good team members. These are things we hear. I can't get good team members. Well, by the way, if you walk around and say, I can't get team, good team members, you're probably not going to get team members. I highly recommend removing that from your vocabulary. Oh, there's no, no employees available in our area. Like you don't see those kind of isms coming out of your mouth are death traps. And I need you guys to play back all your commentary and under absolute, first of all, it's not true. Um, it's, but it's true when you say it to your mind. So it is imperative that all of you immediately discontinue any BS rhetoric that you have created in your mind about how you can't find good people Everybody in your area is not – there's no good people in my town. That Those are all false narratives. They are not true. 
every doctor in the last 25 years who has ever said that to me, I have an immediate few questions that I would ask you that you would not answer the correct way, and I would prove you to be wrong. And then if I could get you to tweak what you do, which I've been doing for a long time, then you would get a different result. So it is important to understand that if you're the head of an organization, which you are, and you walk around telling people that they can't get good people, that will become a self-fulfilling prophecy that is completely an asinine maneuver on your part. And it, is, it shows an incredible lack of maturity, an incredible, it is excuse-making at its finest when we talk about uh, talent development. It is not accurate. And so I start and I say, okay, who's in charge? And the first thing is they say, I am. I say, oh, okay, great. The next thing is, okay, show me exactly what you're doing to recruit. To, oh, we've done everything. Show me. Show me what you did last week. Well, we didn't do anything last week. Okay, tell me exactly how much money you spend every month. Through. Well, we don't spend money. Oh, so you don't do anything and you don't spend money, but you can't find good people. Well, okay, well, let me help you out. You know, the problem is that when you don't do anything, nothing is supposed to happen. See, this is, you've got to dial back into this because, listen, here's what's going to happen. You've got to keep the people you want, and I'm going to guarantee you that you're going to lose somebody if you haven't already done it. I mean, I know the numbers. I, listen, I have high-level coaching clients. We just finished a series of workshops. I said to everybody, did anybody lose a talented team member? Almost everybody raised their hands. And we had, you know, they're saying 12% of all hygienists left the profession. There were issues with people having childcare. There was issues with, un I mean, so listen, I know that people are losing people. And this is about how do you elevate your thinking and change your, your plan? So when, again, you talk about human capital, it's the intangible asset not listed on the balance sheet, education, training, skills, loyalty. Um, often referred to as the secret asset. So I believe that it's the secret asset. So if you were to walk into a practice that's been like, let's say it's a 5X office, the client's been with me for 10 years, and you went in there as a patient, I, there's no doubt in my mind you would be blown away by what happens to you. I mean, no doubt about it. But what most doctors do instead is they, they don't go in and they don't know what they do and they never learn how, what those people did. Well, those people may have been training those team members for 10 years and they've developed a culture, okay? And culture is the word that you want to learn a little bit about here. Because what, what we really have to get you, if you want to know how to stop losing team members, you want to know how to attract talented team members, you want to know how to satisfy the needs of talented people. And I want you to make a note of that. You don't want bodies anymore. You want talent. And when you get that incorrect construct in your head that there's no one available, that is also an incredible excuse to hire untalented people and then to actually say, they're so not talented, I don't think they're worth training. Okay, I mean, this is like a, this is a depression spiral. And a lot of people don't know they're doing it. See, because really the way we need to look at this, we gotta say, no, 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 no. Everyone who gets in, because I only hire talented people, 
is worthy of training. So we had, I did a big event, um, I guess it was 18 or 19. Uh, we called it Culture Fest. And I, I said, I'm going to do the greatest event on culture ever performed. So here was the guarantee. Greatest event on culture you've ever been to or your money back. And I hired Nick Saban, who's a very successful uh, college football coach. And so he does a talk, and I sit down and interview him, and he goes, yeah, well, I don't know. It was like, what are some of the secrets to it? And, I, and he was there to talk about championship culture. And it's so funny. Everybody was thinking, well, okay, he's just a great coach. He's a great coach. No, no. And he says all these things that are like, wow. It's so funny. He, he didn't say I'm a great coach. He said, I don't coach bad players. <laughs> so all of a sudden, the whole thing about him being, is he a great coach or is he just really great at not taking bad players? Well, the answer is the latter. I mean, if you fill a team with a bunch of not good players, no coach has the ability to coach that team. And, and it was one of the things he said. And so when you think about how this needs to start, I'm asking you to elevate. And I'm, I'm getting you to understand that the and culture, and write this down, culture is what the people who work in your business think about you. That's culture. Culture is the thing you feel when you walk in. So think about a typical doctor's office, right? I mean, you can, you know, I always think about the one so great with the sliding glass door and, you know, kind of crappy chairs and gal in the seat. And, you know, it's like, fill out the paperwork, you know. And so patient walks in and goes, oh, and they immediately, they're, they're identifying the culture. You know, my favorite is the sign that says, don't eat in the lobby and don't talk on your cell phone. And then the person behind the reception desk is doing it. You know, that's like a great, it's like the greatest culture. That's a typical doctor's office culture. And that's why when we develop and train around a new patient experience and everything is positive and everything is about satisfying the needs of the customer, it's why it's so, it's, it's you're setting the tone for culture. So the real question is, is do you know anything about culture? Do you care about culture? And again, remember, there's the known and the unknown. You have a culture, whether or not you think you have one or not, we call it the default culture. Everybody has a culture. So some people have a culture where, okay, we have a culture of low expectation, uh, not training people, not putting talent in, and then we constantly whine about the whole situation. <laughs> okay, fantastic. Another person says, okay, wait a minute, and this is what I'm saying to you, the invitation to tonight is that you need to work on your culture. And no one else can do it. If the boss isn't in on culture, it's not going to work. I was interviewing a person and, you know, I, I was asking her questions. I said, listen, company culture is the most important thing to me. And I said, uh, so if you were to join our company, um, I own culture. But I said, if you're in a room and I'm not there, then you own culture <laughs> because how can I own culture when I'm not there? So, okay. She's like, so do I own culture? I said, like, yes, you own culture. And now what I have to help that person do is to define what that means. So what does it mean? Right. And we got to be careful. You know, culture isn't just fun. Culture isn't just be nice to everybody. Culture isn't right. We, we like a high performing culture results-oriented, high-performing culture. So if you want to have a results-oriented, one of my other 
great Nick Saban lines I loved is he said, mediocre people, uh, let's see if I could find that. Mediocre people don't like high achievers and high achievers don't like <laughs> mediocre people. I was like, wow, that's good. So what happens if you have a bunch of mediocre people and you bring in a really talented person? Well, they all attack them. <laughs> it, it's sort of the, it's the thing that goes on now with students, these poor kids. We do a teen event every year. And I learned that there's so much pressure not to crush everyone that the, that the kids don't realize that it's dumbing them all down, Right. Instead of going, nope, I'm going to be a high achiever and my being a high achiever is going to point out that you're a mediocre person and you're not going to like it. So what are you? Seriously, are you okay being mediocre at running your practice? Are you a dabbler and it's more fun to complain about it? Or are you a high-achieving person who would like to have a culture of results-oriented, positive, right, people who, when they interact with patients, create a positive chemistry? And every day, are you modeling and championing that despite what you feel? Because you got to remember, too, that the pandemic had an effect on your energy. And a lot of you haven't cleansed yourself of that and gotten completely refocused. And so when you came back from the pandemic, I can promise you, here's what happened. Your team is, some of your team is going, are they going to change for the worst or the better? And I'm telling you right now, right now. Starting tomorrow, you need to start showing that if, if any change was made, you're making a change for the better. And you need to realize if your culture is a lot of mediocre people that you have to – it takes about a year to flip it. And it's funny how a lot of people aren't really committed to flip it, right? They prefer just to keep the mediocre people around because they're afraid to fire somebody or hold them to expectations. So think about it this way. So I want to know right now, who does the hiring and firing? So write down who does the hiring and firing. And if that job is on you, I'm going to tell you that you're probably going to want to get it off of you and that the growth of your practice will be stunted forever if that's on you. I mean, I think back about when I did all the hiring and firing at the Scheduling Institute and how horrible I was at it. And I'm not saying that your replacement is going to be perfect. I'm just saying they're going to be a lot better than you. And it allows you then to focus on the things that you need to focus on. And so if you are doing the hiring and firing and you are losing people or you are not able to get talented people, I'm going to predict that it's because you're actually doing very few of the things you're supposed to be doing. And you really should take that as great news. So it's almost like freeing to realize, wow, I own it. I have no time. I actually have no skill at it. I don't know how to place an ad. I don't know how to do anything. I don't know how to interview people. I don't know how to select them. I don't know how to do any of it. 
but I still own the job. So this is the number one thing that I have noticed about doctors who have, don't have great cultures or great energy in their team, if that's a better way for you to look at it. So that problem has to be solved. Now, most people say, well, I don't have anyone who could do it. And then usually I say, well, how about you look around, write all the names down, who's the, who's the best worst choice, you know, or the worst best choice, however you want to look at it. And they usually say somebody, and I go, okay, so why don't we try them, and let's pay them a little bit of a bonus for everyone they bring in or, or whatever. So who can help you build the team? And normally in every group, there's sort of a natural recruiter. So I want you to imagine you're, you're probably in one of two places, and one place it's the doctor on a, on a hamster wheel. So you don't have a good system. We're constantly in a crisis. We're constantly understaffed. So constantly understaffed means revenue is not going to grow. Constantly understaffed means profits are not going to grow. Other doctors have systems, and it's been delegated. And even at some of our highest levels, by the way, we're, we're installing really HR departments now, right? So we're doing a lot to help people actually develop that human resources capacity without having too large of an expense that they can't afford, but you are going to want to, and you know, some people are like, well, I don't think I'll ever be able to do it. I think I'm going to sell my practice. That is ridiculous. You try before you make that decision. So a lot of people, these are the kind of things that, you know, tire them down so much. And then they, they give away their equity, which is not very smart because they couldn't solve a simple hiring problem. I mean, that is, that is not I mean, look, I'm just going to be honest. It's not very smart, okay? So I know you are capable of solving that problem if you will concentrate on it. So let's take a look. What is culture? And so a lot of people, when you, you throw out the word culture, they, they think it's the stuff you see on TV, you know? So, you know, people go, well, we're a culture of whatever, you know? Today it's Black Lives Matters. Today it's equality. I don't know. If you think about whatever culture is, it's a lot of whatever people see in the news, right? That's not what we're talking about. That's, that's a worldly kind of culture. We're talking about company, and a company is a group of humans, okay? So I'm going to walk you through this. So a lot of people don't know this, so I want to make sure when you get off tonight that you understand that if you want to have these things, you want to keep good team members, attract good team members, that the organizational culture is critical. And most people don't know what it is. They don't know how to measure it. What they know is they know they're constantly in a crisis. Well, any organization that's constantly in a crisis, you know, that's like the, the you know, the pandemic one of my great, I love this, I think it was like a Navy SEAL quote, they talk about people don't rise to the occasion. <laughs> you know, like, that's so funny, right? Like, we'll rise to the occasion. I love their, their quote was, that's not true. People sink to their level of preparation. So right now, when we talk about this human resources, team, talent, whatever, you know, I, I was 
today I'm having a conversation with our head of human resources and I'm saying we're rebuilding things. We're rebuilding our intern program to be an actual intern program, not a place for any randos kids to work to get a something on their resume, right? I only want interns that can be employed for specific jobs and I want to overpay them, you know, like enhancing my intern program. We're making changes, right? We're having the conversation about, hey, why don't we do lunch for everybody this week? This week I hadn't been in the office in a while and I walked around to every single office and said hello, some of them a little more awkward than others, but just saying, because they were like, well, let's, you know, just to make the, make sure that the they know I appreciate them and their efforts. Culture is what the team really thinks about you. And there's an unknown part for most people. And sometimes companies and offices have these known cultural deficits. So like they say things like, you know, he says he's going to do it, but he's not going to do it. I mean, imagine an organization where your reputation is that you say you're going to do something and you don't do it. A lot of doctors have that. They don't even know that that's what the people think. So when you think about culture, this is where you also have to be very um, – right now, we believe that all people – have been psychologically affected and so they are going through and having issues related to the shutdown, their life's purpose, the work they want to do, et cetera, et cetera. And so what we saw was family cultures. There was a lot of divorces in the pandemic, people who worked separately and never were together. When they got together for a year, they're like, oh, man, I hate each other. So I know a lot of people who got divorced during or, or getting divorced because of the pandemic. Um, a lot of people, uh, you know, had their kids at home. They were at home and they were working and and they realized that they they they, they weren't set up for that, you know. So where do you have cultures? You have a family culture, okay? You have a business culture. You have a marriage culture. So I want you to bring in this, when we talk about culture, I don't want to talk about the outside world. I want you to talk about what's inside your circle. Um, you know, um, what is that like? And, and, and too many people are unintentional, because I don't tell you the ones that are going to affect you the most is what is that family culture going to look like? What is your business called? These are the people you're going to spend the most time with. And I've never understood why people wouldn't make the people you spend the most time. So here are the people I spend the most time with. My family, obviously. Everyone who works at the Scheduling Institute. Anyone who does business with the Scheduling Institute. And then my clients. And then, you know, you go to your friends. But interestingly enough, I, I see my clients more than I see my friends. Like, so at a high-level coaching client, I may see every on average every three or four months depending on if they come to an event or workshop whatever happens well i have friends that i don't see that often right so why wouldn't i want to 
make sure that that work culture makes sense. So if you come into one of our facilities, right, you're always invited to come. I've got some events coming up. You guys could come to some customer appreciation two-day events. I'd love for you to come and if you can get a seat. I think we've got one coming up. Um, uh, come to an event. See what that culture culture looks like, right? So let's go through some specific things about attracting people that are, that are, that are very important and that, that have been identified. Hope you enjoyed part one of this two-part podcast. We'll start back up where Jay left off and he'll reveal specific things about attracting top talent. If you love listening to Jay's podcast, he's personally invited his listeners to join us at one of our upcoming events. Visit www.jgeierlive.com. Register soon as seats are limited.